Welcome to Bold Conscious Connections. My name is Raju Panjwani and I'm a certified leadership coach. And I'm Trisha Ramos, a certified high performance coach. Together, we help business leaders redefine success on their terms to create more space and energy so that they live impactful lives. Everyone wants to be seen, heard and understood. So at a deeper level, we know that the collective consciousness is important to raise in this world. And leaders who are influencers can make that difference. We in our coaching programs teach people how to focus on the interconnectedness, heart-centeredness and growth from within. And this is what this podcast will be about. So stay tuned and subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. Talk to you very soon. Are you welcome back? Oh my God, I think our previous session inspired everybody to have you back to us and and continue our conversation. It's just been amazing to to talk to you. Yes, we're so excited to have you back to talk to us today about death. It's a pleasure (laughs) being here. Thank you for having me back. Um, Delightful. I know that uh, as a topic, death as a topic is not, you know, people... People in general think of it as morbid, and and you know you, you're gonna dive into why this is this is not something one cannot deal with, of course, because death is one thing that's inevitable. So perhaps we could just uh, have you talk about what is it when you think of death. So I personally um, have dealt with death at a young age, losing my father when I was young, um, very close and beloved relatives, um, a child. So death for me has been um, on a personal level, uh, very present in my life. And so the trigger point for me was understanding its terminal nature to the personality Mm. uh, and somehow how I felt about that terminal nature didn't reconcile with what I thought. Uh, I was under the scientific, logical, rational mindset at the time that we are here, we live, and we're gone. Uh, But something just didn't allow me to accept that as conclusive. I was curious, and I was motivated. Uh, And that insatiable curiosity and motivation led me to dig and discover. So um, fast forward several decades and today thinking of death for me is a very large macro view of many lifetimes compared to the equivalence of many days in a lifetime. So for me, the day I was able to connect those two dots, 
coming from a principle of what happens in the micro happens in the macro, mm -hmm. then it was easy for me to postulate the theory that if I wake up in the morning and live my day and go to sleep and have a deep sleep and wake up the next morning refreshed, re-energized and anew to do it all over again. And we do that all our lives. Why wouldn't that be a logical possible at that time? It wasn't probable, but why wouldn't it be possible that that happens to that energetic consciousness that we have inside us that is born into the material life, lives an entire lifetime, and then goes into the life after death, which is probably the equivalent of a very deep sleep, and comes back and enlivens a new lifetime. Hmm. So that discovery or that connection, those two similitudes, um, then could lead a curious person to connect those dots internally as well. Looking at nature here in the Northeast, it's easy to see a tree lose its entire foliage and um, go into what seems to be a deep slumber over winter mm. and come back the next spring uh, completely new. And sure, that tree. Uh, is very similar to the tree from last summer or last spring, but we we all know it's not. It's an entirely new tree, but the essence, the roots of it are mm. the same. So it, it stands uh, there <laughs> for many, many cycles, for many winters and many springs. Uh, so why? Why would that not be the same for us? And so that process of discovery um, somehow made me feel very calm mm. and it reprioritized what I thought I needed to do in this life. Uh, it also gave me a sense of responsibility for my future lives, if it was true. And it allowed me to um, benefit from the notion that maybe all of those intuitive cognitive thoughts that I have on this life from wisdom and knowledge that I don't know where I got mm. may have come from. How is it that I know this? How is it that I can have some wisdom that to my mom or sisters, uh, they don't know where it came from. I didn't read them in a book. I didn't uh, hear it at school. Uh, so maybe we are living a cumulative, additive, compounding series of lifetimes uh, as though we have 3,000 lives behind us mm -hmm. and 3,000 more before us. So 
it certainly changes my view on uh, my responsibility, not just towards my children and the people I love, but towards me, the future me. Mm. And um, obviously none of these analysis uh, can happen uh, in a vacuum. Uh, understanding death, thinking about death, meditating about death um, cannot be the single obsession that one focuses on because you need to also focus on love and compassion and uh, positivity and neutrality and um, going into a quiet place and understanding one's role in life and um, the fundamental principles of life and the higher values in life um, are a family of values that together with death um, allow for uh, a more balanced, uh, less attachment, certainly less fear around uh, the inevitable. Um, death is not something any of us can stop. Even though science may prolong our lives, uh, there comes a time when we may just not be able to prolong it beyond a certain level. Uh, I do believe we're going to live longer lives as science evolves, but um, death is something that will occur. And so being afraid of the end of your day doesn't really quite make a lot of sense. Um, mm. I actually rejoice going to sleep and wondering what dreams I might have and wake up the next morning knowing that all of that wisdom that I gathered throughout the day is going to be processed and compounded and uh, added to my next day. So what if we had the same mentality for our future lives? I want to pause you for a second because there was just so much there <laughs> and I just want to take a breath into all of that, all of those ideas. I do want to bring you back to what you shared before because I know Raju and I can really relate to the idea that perhaps who we are today, the wisdom that we carry, information we have, like a knowing that we have that we don't know where it came from. We just know how to do something or that you said um, a result of perhaps cumulative lifetimes coming into this lifetime, still carrying some of that. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? And as, as you expand on that, I also wanted to hear about your children and what you talk to your children about regarding death. Mm. So, I think of it, um, let's use computers, our, our, our computers or our phones as an example. Everyone has an iPhone or an Android. Um, most people have Apple or Android, but everyone has a, everyone that has an Apple, for example, uh, rarely questions um, what happens when they have to buy a new phone because the old phone has either died or they just want the latest upgrade. Uh, well, they take everything that's on that iPhone and they send it up to the cloud 
uh, they buy a new phone and then they download everything from the cloud to the new phone. And magically the phone turns on, but now this phone has new features, it has new apps, it has more capabilities, uh, but it still has everything, all of the photographs, all of the files, all of the phone numbers, everything. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> if the system works, and I do believe that the universal computer technology works flawlessly, uh, but when it works for Apple, you download your entire past phone's history to the new phone. Um, well, I, I've come to accept that there is absolutely no difference <laughs> with us. Uh, we live, we accumulate experiential knowledge and wisdom. Uh, if we are um, focused and curious, we're going to analyze, we're going to introspect, we're going to learn, and we're going to take all of that analysis, all of that introspection, and all of that learning, we're going to turn it into wisdom that then becomes stored. Uh, some people call it the Akashic Records. I call it the storage banks. Uh, and my hard drive of my energy consciousness that enlivens me um, has a file <laughs> with all of my experiential knowledge, wisdom, and impulses of all of the higher values that gets stored there, life after life after life after life. Um, uh, I guess the, the difference between us and an iPhone is that uh, the iPhone is not an artificial intelligence yet, and the iPhone doesn't become wiser and smarter throughout its life, but we do. Mm -hmm. hopefully. Um, and all of that accumulated knowledge, wisdom, understanding, knowing, learning, insight, and growth and enlightenment gets added to that cloud storage system of the storage banks of human consciousness or universal consciousness. And um, when we go into death, there is a um, accumulation of all of your life's experiences and knowledge. And this gets converted into impulses, energetic impulses that uh, comprise all of the higher values of universal love, which is the principle of all principles. Uh, and that individual consciousness block becomes a little bit brighter, a little bit more enlightened than it was before. Uh, and then a new life comes and your slot in the seemingly eternal process of becoming is, is your turn. And that connection between a physical being and that consciousness block is reunited and there's a download that takes place mm -hmm. of all of that which is in that consciousness block is available to us, um, but not through our conscious mind. It mm -hmm. is deeply stored in our deep unconscious and subconscious, which only meditation can unlock. So 
as a logical, rational, spiritual person, <laughs> I can make the connection that the universe is just one massive, powerful, organic consciousness technology that um, creates the opportunity for enlightenment for eternity, for itself and all of that which is inside it. The ultimate, most fundamental, basic, and absolutely inevitable reason for life is to evolve. Mm -hmm. There is nothing else to do. <laughs> and so when it comes to coming and the previous lives and the future lives, what, what do you want to put in that consciousness block of yours for your future use? What is it that you want to bequeath empower your future selves, not only in this lifetime, but for all the other lifetimes? I'm sure that a bunch of Netflix movies don't add much value. <laughs> and I'm, I'm certain that learning how to beat your opponents at poker may add a little bit of value, but maybe not the highest value. Uh, you know, maybe there are different levels of enlightenment uh, and all values are valuable. Uh, but if you thought that this was so, perhaps humanity might make different choices about what they want to inherit their future selves. What kind of knowledge, what kind of wisdom, what kind of skills, what kind of insights, what kind of powers do you want to unlock for the future you that could make their future lives more positive, productive, creative, constructive, and successful? So it almost is incumbent upon us, it behooves us mm -hmm. to take a more responsible approach towards the future us, not just for the benefit of accumulating material wealth and comfort in this lifetime, but to acquire the knowledge, the skills, the wisdom, and you know, whatever kind of superpowers you can, you can acquire in this lifetime. If you've awakened in this lifetime to a certain measure of understanding, become an expert at it. So are you saying, Ari, that that explains why maybe other people in your life uh, when you were younger don't have that recognition because of their own path that they were on and, and you somehow did? Many things. It, it, uh, uh, an enlightened individual in a previous life is unlikely to not be an enlightened individual in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. However, it could very well be that the body, the physical material, Consciousness is suffering from a physical defect. It could be uh, unfortunate that a, uh, uh, an enlightened consciousness entered a body that had schizophrenic uh, mm. uh, malwiring. Uh, uh, so there are many variables that can fall into play. You could have had an accident and damaged your cognitive abilities. Uh, it could have very well been that you had a massively traumatic event very on in your life, very early in your life, and that uh, enlightened pre previous life may not have a 
a chance to come out and play uh, because there was a major traumatic event that uh, sealed the relationship between the conscious and the unconscious. There's, a, there's no way to access what we have accumulated over the four million years of reincarnating on this planet that we've had uh, if you don't have uh, the tools and the uh, cognitive, mental, psychical abilities to connect the conscious with the unconscious and the subconscious, which is where the knowledge and the wisdom of the previous lives is. But uh, all things being equal and circumstances being healthy, um, Gandhi will reincarnate in an enlightened individual. Maybe he won't be Gandhi again, uh, but it is certain that whoever he becomes in his future life, um, future incarnation, uh, will be a person of enlightened choices. Um, most of the enlightened uh, masters uh, don't always become masters in their next life. Even uh, many of the prophets and the enlightened uh, men of old uh, have had many lives where they were probably very smart people <laughs> like Socrates or, um, you know, um, you, you could name the ones you like, but I won't go deep into that, but, um, yeah, that explains, you know, we we were just recently a couple few weeks ago um, learning more about St. Germain and the violet flame. And um, the idea there is that one of his, um, well, before St. Germain, there was Merlin. And there were other lifetimes in between. Yes. And eventually, so that what you're saying certainly supports the idea you know, present in all these sure. ancient texts about ascension and, you know, if you believe in the ascended masters, that's that's what they're saying as well. I have a question about, since you brought up Gandhi, some of the stuff from my culture, but before that, you want to answer the question she asked you about, you know, how do you, how do you speak with your children about death? So I talk to my children about death, um, at least once or twice a month. Mm. Um, COVID obviously ha has turned it into a almost daily thing. Um, so for me, it has been an opportunity to go much deeper than I would have probably had. So in a, in a, in a very uh, uh, sad way, uh, COVID has given me the opportunity of compressing 10 years of death talks with my kids in two. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm sadly grateful to something terrible for the silver lining it has provided. Mm -hmm. But I do talk to my kids about death and constantly help them to think in a manner that help, helps them connect the dots by themselves. Um, and children are different. Uh, mm -hmm. I, my daughter is 14, my son is 10, and uh, I expected my daughter to have far more insightful comments and questions than my son. Um, but it was my son, the one who shocked and surprised me at bedtime when he said to me, so now that I'm going to sleep, uh, this is probably what's gonna happen 
when I die? And I said, that's exactly what I said. Mm-hmm. But for you to connect the dots and discover if that's true. Um, so I always um, try to define truth as certainty and recognition of the reality. And uh, so I always use the term. I think they, they memorize it as though it was one word by now because I say it so often. But um, <laughs> if truth is certainty and recognition of the reality, then I invite you to take this insight that going to sleep is like dying and Mm -hmm. recognize if for you in your reality that is certain and um, try to think about it. Mm -hmm. And when you wake up the next morning, imagine that you're a completely new person and see what happens. And so those conversations Mm -hmm. obviously playful, I try to keep them positive always. And if it's a very sad conversation, I try to keep it neutral. Mm-hmm. So not to belittle the sadness, but um, neutralizing the negative is more effective than converting the negative into positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and looking at the positive from something neutral is always more effective than leaving it in neutral. And um, neutralizing the positive is also always better than adding more positive to positivity, lest you become a Pollyanna or a <laughs> or a person detached from reality. So I always try to use uh, a neutral, positive, equalized approach. I, I remember you talking about that in the last episode. You you referred to it as grounding the positive, which is so important because it's for me, it's the grounding of something positive that allows for you to sustain s- sustain the positivity and not perhaps go into self-sabotage, right? So I love that you're bringing that back up now. I think of it as the the kite that can fly ever higher if it didn't have someone holding that kite string on the ground the Mm -hmm. kite would just fly away and away and away and and lose its tether Mm -hmm. to reality so Mm -hmm. excess negativity is destructive excess positivity uh, can be harmful Mm -hmm. so so yeah, with my kids, it's uh, it's it's more playful, mm. uh, anecdotal, uh, metaphorical. Uh, I try to use a lot of metaphors. Very, very, very useful for talking to kids about death. Uh, anecdotal, very, very helpful. Uh, my son likes more science talk. My daughter likes more images. So you kind of have to discover your your child's language, but. Um, it certainly is uh, creeping into my kids' life, the idea that death is not so bad. It's sad for us who remain behind, but mm-hmm. not for them, because they are evolving. It's a sign of you've graduated this class. Now it's time to get a new car. It's time to get a new iPhone. So important <laughs> though, the lesson that you're teaching them that every day is a new day. Today, 
every morning you wake up, you're a new person. And, and that really resonates because even though we know that on an intellectual level, a lot of us still wake up still thinking about the mistakes we made the day before or the regrets. And I think if children learn an idea like that early on, then perhaps there would be less judgment and more compassion moving forward. It's more realistic. It's more pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Ignoring the inevitable robs a person of the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, changes and uh, in, in some way skews one's choices. Um, this idea that death is a bad thing is no more harmful than coming up with fantastical stories and lies to help uh, yourself have a happy life. Right. Um, mm. The truth has its place. How you say the truth also has its place. But the truth is the ultimate equalizer. So we may as well uh, accept the whole story and frame it in terms of our choices accordingly, not just start the race, we'll see when the finish line gets there. Well, everybody's finish line is in a different place. <laughs> so, so I was going to ask you, uh, you know, you're wearing that om, so it reminds me of, of uh, you know, the Indian, you know, the oldest civilization, as, as they claim. So all these yogis and all these, um, you know, folks that were sages who wrote, wrote all sorts of things in the form of sutras and Puranas and Vedic heritage that we have, they bring the moment of death to an exhale and life to inhale. And life is but a series of these inhales and exhales. Not that you ever look at life that way. But if you take the the incarnation and reincarnation as a as an earlier uh, metaphor you were describing, trees or your soul, it, it doesn't matter what your spirit takes in the form of this life. Sometimes people, you know, babies die because of whatever reasons in this life, but they carry on, the, the, the soul carries on, that's the belief. And then you say, well, you know, you're inhaling and exhaling every moment, you're inhaling life and exhaling death. Do you have any, uh, does that resonate for you at all? Or does this? I think everything, and I mean everything, is a cycle. Mm-hmm. Heartbeat is a cycle, breath is a cycle. Frequencies are cycles. The waking up, having your day, going to sleep and waking up again is a cycle. The seasons are cycles. The markets are cyclical. <laughs> Empires are cyclical. The, the, the planet rotates in a circle <laughs> around the earth. Um, our galaxy, does the same our entire solar system rotates around the galaxy the galaxy is rotating around some kind of orbital path um there is absolutely nothing in 
creation itself that can escape the cyclicality of things any more than we can escape causality, uh, any more than we can escape duality, and any more than we can escape any of the fundamental absolute laws that govern creation itself. Cycles are a part of that. When you listen to music, you're listening to cycles. Yep. Cycles in rhythm and tempo and beat in uh, frequency, vibrations. Uh, sound is cyclical, breath is cyclical, thoughts are cyclical, everything is a cycle. So yes, it does resonate with me. Um, and if you take that concept, that that which is found in the small, in the very small is also found in the large and the very large, then you can rest assured that you will find those cycles in the very, very large and in the very, very small too. Mm -hmm. The ebb and the flood of the ocean is cyclical. The process of being born, living and dying is cyclical. Uh, there is nothing that escapes the cycle, you know? Uh, what is the name of that movie? Uh, not, not that movie, that play, uh, Lion King, The Cycle of Life. <laughs> Akuna Matata. <laughs> So yeah, cycles, cycle is everything. I mean, I know this is probably um, not lost on at least half of the population, but maybe to the other half, they should get a wake up call. There is no more evident and amazing embodiment of that cycle than women. Mm. Women are the incarnation of life cycle mm. and they are. A, a living, walking, cyclical, life-giving entity. Uh, uh, and and <laughs> um, I don't know where man lost its way that they forgot to honor that. So mm -hmm. that's beautiful. I'm, Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, we, we bring this to our audience and our clients who we, you know, we, we believe that a lot of them are more awake and conscious. They recognize that life is beyond the five senses. And at least that recognition is important to open the gateway into the infinite possibilities, right? Yes. So when it comes to, we talk about self-mastery and that, you know, for us individually, Tricia and I've gone through our, you know, near death experiences. Um, so you recognize that for, for us, it's motivating to wake up in the morning and feel like there's, you know, we're here to make an impact as you're just, you're here for a short time. So, you know, fear of death uh, is on one side, but the, the flip side is what motivates you to get up and, and move, move with full gusto, right? So uh, what do you have to say to our audience who, who, who knows that there is, there is more, but what should they do not to be, to live in that fear in the moment? that they might not wake up in the morning or anything can happen in the day. So we're, we're creatures of habit. And I think the, the more we allow ourselves to uh, contemplate and to meditate on death, uh, the more we will be able to accept and integrate death into our lives. Um, I'm not advising and recommending that anybody obsess over death because then that will lead to the wrong 
and result, and I mean wrong relatively, I mean to say it won't produce a positive outcome. It will probably produce uh, some kind of destructive outcome. Mm -hmm. uh, but to integrate death into your daily practice, uh, meditatively and your thoughts uh, can change not only your lack of understanding, but it will probably dissolve your fear and your anxiety. Uh, not only when the time comes that you will die. Uh, yes, you can die suddenly. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, you, you could uh, die um, very fast. Um, but that is not necessarily the norm. Most people die over a certain period of time, uh, whether that be 10 days, three months, a year or two, that those, the majority that go through a prolonged uh, experience of dying, um, the amount of anxiety and fear that the, the human being goes through in those days, weeks, months, and years uh, is something you're bequeathing to your future self. And all of that negative energy um, can be converted into an empowering um, grace um, and acceptance. We were talking about acceptance earlier. Um, which not only will make your life on this planet, the last few days on this planet, um, more neutral, um, but you won't live them in fear and terror uh, of what might come. If you have done your work in this life, um, when the time comes, uh, you'll be able to receive it um, elegantly. <laughs> graciously, um, lovingly, and you'll have time to be thankful. You'll have time to welcome into your life feelings that uh, would be more productive, useful to you and to your loved ones and to the people you know, mm -hmm. uh, but not taking it to the end, bringing it more to the middle, of the road, which is where most of people who are looking to excel and succeed are, it makes you a more prepared individual. It makes you more grounded. It makes you more compassionate. It allows you to uh, seize the day with more enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. It allows you to uh, consider that the temporal side of life is guaranteed. So thinking about that may also reduce your uh, temptation to become arrogant if you become successful or lose touch with reality if you become too successful. <laughs> Maybe understanding and knowing, recognizing and accepting death uh, could um, allows you to be more generous, more mm. uh, understanding, more forgiving. It'll certainly uh, invite everyone to be more prepared with a trust and an estate and a will <laughs> and an insurance policy. Uh, a lot of that uh, escapes most people's uh, attention because they just don't want to think about it. 
Talking about these things with a lawyer is horrible. Talking about these things with your children. I, I tell my children, look, this is where I put the gold. This is where I put the gold coins. <laughs> this is the password. You know, it's funny you're saying that because my parents did that with me a few years ago, many years ago, actually. And I remember being irritated by it. Yes. And, and they, you know, they, they had... I was going to be the whatever. I, it's even now I'm like, why are we having this it's conversation? The same thing, like, it's yeah. the same conversation about money. Like we, we don't like to talk about money. Yeah. It's like and evil. Or they wanted, it was before they retired, before they were leaving. They, they used to live in Houston. Now they live in the Philippines. And so there was like a whole thing about where things are located. And, and I just was like, ah, why? <laughs> but you know, Ari, I do want to, I, I want to take a different turn. I want to ask you what your thoughts are on. So given the length and the depth of this subject, we decided to break this interview into two parts. We hope you really enjoyed this session and we can't wait to share part two of our conversation with Ari Levy. Until then. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if so, make sure to subscribe download and share it with your sphere of influence you know we bring a variety of topics to you and it's like a master class for those topics and it's all free so take a screenshot share it on your social media and add the hashtag bold conscious connections so that we can find you see you maybe say hello and if you want to deep dive into some of the topics that we bring to you uh, find us at www.livemasterminds.com and get to know us. Take care.